Hello everyone, my name is Justin Bullard. I grew up in North Florida. I've spent the majority of my life in the woods or on the water. I've been blessed and fortunate enough to hunt all over this country. I've met some amazing people and I've decided now to start talking about it, telling stories and having these guests on. And I hope you all grow with me and have fun while you're at it. I'm from the woods. You hear that? Yep, this meeting is being recorded. Got brother, brother, let me tell you something. I recorded an hour and a half with DJ Jones Outdoors from Minnesota, and I forgot to hit that button. Let me tell you something. I was so mad I could not sleep that night. It was bad. Like we, um, it was because the first time you talk, you want it to be authentic. You know, you want course. your podcast to be all, and it was. It was fantastic, and I'm like. We're going to have to go back and record again and try to make it seem like the first time we talked. It was brutal, man. But he was a good sport, you know. Um, anyway. Hey, folks, welcome back from the Woods Podcast here. And uh, it's been a minute, but we're getting ready for deer season. So we're starting to line up some guests. And this one I'm really excited about. I've um, I watch a lot of YouTube and this guy is slowly becoming one of my favorite shows. And I mean that genuinely because number one you seem like a normal dude that's out there doing it the hard way you seem genuine it it seems like you're just a downright good dude austin pope welcome to the show i appreciate it man thanks for having me he's got a tv our youtube channel called uh dream team tv and and if you uh, haven't checked it out man he's got some outstanding outstanding uh episodes he puts a lot of work into it he commits because one thing i learned about filming you have to commit to filming and Good Lord, there's some times where I'm watching you or, or whomever else, and I'm like, oh, yeah, screw that camera. Screw that camera. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go over later some of my, some of my favorite uh, episodes from you, and I really hope all of our listeners check you out because it, it's a good show. We got listeners all up these from Seaboard. It's pretty wild. Nice, um, nice. So we'll start out. Where are you from? Originally from Tampa area, but have since moved locations in Florida. Don't want to give too much because I've got uh, some subscribers. I've got some subscribers that can pick me out pretty good if I say that. <laughs> I don't mind. And uh, on this show, I don't say any uh, any names of any WMAs or anything like that. Yeah. I got scolded originally because I'm a <laughs> private land hunter for the most part, but I'm starting to get into public and it's fun. And uh, yeah. I've I've learned that anything that you kill in public is a trophy, and so. I That's will not be giving any names out. I won't make any insulations, you know. I won't make yeah. in, uh, any hints or anything. <laughs> so, Tampa, man, I've been there for vacation. There is a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I will never, world. ever, ever go back. I, I didn't lose anything there. And I, I like the woods. I like, you know, I, got, I only got seven acres here, but it's quiet. It's out in the country. And I got my cows and I got my chickens and the deer in the backyard. And I'm happy with that. Yep. That's when did you start? When did you start filming? You're, you're, you're hunting and you're fishing because you do some fishing on there too. Yeah. Yeah. I do a little bit of fishing, man. Uh, it's probably been, I think I released my first YouTube video about seven years ago now. And of course, you know, your first video, just as I'm sure your first podcast ever, when you look back at it, you're like, gosh, dog, what was I doing? And that's the same, same concept of what I'm dealing with looking back at what I have and now looking where I am now and continuing to grow and my editing skills and even just with thumbnails trying to get that dialed in man it's definitely a big process and like you said staying committed to it is making the biggest difference of it all and of course 
all the positive and encouraging comments from some people and especially the negative ones. I love those ones too, but all, all the comments are great. You, you almost got to just believe in your brand to the point where you just stay on it. You, Cause I did a TV show one time. I'm not going to knock against that too deep, but the haters are for mm-hmm. real, man. And I always say, sometimes you just got to post and ghost because they'll just, they'll get inside your head and, and, and they don't know what they're talking about. And, you, and a lot of it's, genuine ignorance in the true meaning of the word they don't know you know mm-hmm. but i right. i think you're doing a great thing man tell no, tell us what it. uh what made you start thinking you wanted to film or youtube or anything like that so what got me into that you know if you went on youtube previously from my channel and of course there was many channels that started coming up after me for florida and especially public land you couldn't find anything that was actual quality and consistency. You know, there were a few things people post like with their phones or their 1970 camera quality, but actually looking back at true quality, consistent public land hunting in the really Southeast, just in general, that's what got me saying, you know what? I want to be that guy that people are going on there and saying, I'm going to go look for Austin Pope because he's that one that's always killing stuff on South in the Southeast. <laughs> and most people around the world don't understand how truly hard that is. That's a you, fact. You killed a turkey this year, and I know where you were, and I am very – I respect you a lot for that because that was an outstanding – I love that hunt. Folks, go <laughs> back to his turkey season. He killed a public land Florida turkey. I, I mean, your second one this year you, you killed. Yeah, that if it was my second – if it was my second one, that's the one that that's really the... – that one even shocked me. <laughs> I was I was just as surprised as you were when it, when it came down, man. Because <laughs> he came around that log. I thought he was going to come under the log. Yeah, you shot him around the left side of the log, didn't you? Yep, yep. I thought he was going to come under, too. And he started going around it. I said, oh, boy, it's going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> so in your endeavor for YouTube, I know on this podcast it gets to where, like, life happens and things happen. I have a wife, I have a, you know, have kids, I have football cheer, stuff like that. Has there ever been a point to where you're like, I mean, do I want to keep doing this? I mean, it, it's because this is only my second year doing this. And I'm there's, yeah. there's, there's like low points. And I, I would think I try to coach myself. Like if I just persevere, it'll all work out and it's going to be fine. If I, if I have a genuine product and I talk real to real people, I feel like it's the rest is going to work itself out. I'm just having fun. I'm doing this for fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and this kind of industry, just in the hunting industry, whether it's podcast or videos, whatever you have, blogs, it's if you're going into it just straight thinking, I'm going to make a lot of money doing this, you're not going to continue doing this at, right. by any means whatsoever. You're going to get shot down real quick. Like, But the, the lowest points, I'd say for me out of all of it is just I've never got to a point where I wanted to stop. I've definitely have instances where just kind of like we said, life happens and you just don't get time to make videos. And of course, it seems like when you do that, your viewer count just drops right down to the floor. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, oh man, all that work to build it up and now it's dropping. But I say the worst part is just when you make a video that you, you feel because you made it, you edited it, and you were the one that experienced it. You think, oh, this is going to be a banger video, man. And as soon as you release it, it's spiking up in views and then just steady just goes away and it's like what the heck this is like a great video why is nobody enjoying it <laughs> yeah this podcast is about you completely but what's funny the social media is a fickle beast mm-hmm. because i have a pretty large tiktok following and i'll same thing i'm like this video is gonna smash and it just and then yep. randomly 
you post a random video that you don't think nothing about three days ago, I dropped one and it's at 1.7 million views right now. And I'm like, I, I, the ones that I put a lot of effort into, you know, the, <laughs> I, I know guess, exactly what you mean. Anyway, folks, it's a rough world out there for social media. <laughs> Well, you got a lot of competition, and that's what a lot of people don't think about, even in the hunting industry in itself. Even though we're all together, you know, as a, as a brotherhood type deal, it's you're still to get the views and to get the listeners, it's still a competition. Why are they choosing to pick you over the other person? Correct. And I know for the most part, like with my channel, I know I'm focusing my group of viewers, mainly of the Southeast public land hunters. I don't expect a guy that's in Iowa hunting public land and is a resident there to really care about what I'm doing. But I've got people all the way in New Zealand that are commenting and watching all my videos. So it's one of those things you, you never know that where people are coming from and enjoying your content. And that's the model I run this this podcast off of because at 90%, and I'll hunt out West and stuff. We'll get into that later. But ninety percent of our material, my material here, is is southeastern hunting where it's tough and rough. And yeah. although that's a smaller market, I think it's pretty focused. And 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 going back to the competition, I know that there are a lot of good podcasts out there, and I try to support them as much as I can. I, I comment, I share their stuff, and I would hope they do the same for me. But like you said, I'm doing this for a genuine love of the hunting and talking about it. Man, we get to talk hunting with our buddies, you know, and you get to meet some cool people on, along the way. I know right. you have. And I know that's why you're doing it. That's so describe your show to the, to the listeners that are going to tune in and, and watch it. So man, that's, it's, it's basically kind of what we've already been talking about in the realm of I'm pretty much Florida, Georgia is my primarily uh, focused areas that I hunt mainly deer. But as you've seen, I've got all sorts of critters on there, I hunt just about everything that has a season on it and uh, killed a really nice bear up in Georgia two, I think it was two years ago now. Uh, just over 400 pounds on some public land in the in the southeast portion of Georgia there. One of the biggest ones for that management area. And, uh, yeah, man, been going all over. I think you've seen that one video, the sandbar deer. You watched that one? I was going to bring that. That's the coup de grace. That, that is. <laughs> all right. A lot of my listeners, I'm sure you know. Florida has an island off the coast, off the west coast, and it's got sandbar deer. And everybody and their mother thinks that. Everybody and their mother thinks that they can go kill a sandbar deer. And while you see Austin here did, he was successful and it was an, it's an outstanding episode. It's more, it's, it's a lot tougher than he made it seem. And cause I know personally, a lot of people that have went there, you got to take a boat to the Island right. um, and you camp there on the Island. Right. 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 And you have no help from staff, nothing. <laughs> and what is the, what is the kill percentage for the bulls? Like, not it's not very high yeah i'm not i'm not sure honestly but out of out of 200 quotas obviously not all 200 show up but pretty much close that upper 100 show up and i think they've never had more than like 20 20 uh, sta uh same bar killed that's including the cows or the cows too wow yeah that's including all that yeah that was your day bro <laughs> dude i'm telling you yeah, the first, i think it was like the first 30 minutes or first hour of sitting there Gosh. Uh, for those that don't live in Florida, that's basically uh, Florida hunter's elk around here. If you draw that's that tag, thing. everybody dreams of bulls to put on the wall. Go through that hunt with us, man. I'm sure they'll watch it, but that's, that's yeah, pretty man. cool. Yeah, man. So that so put it in somewhat short. That was my second time to that island. I'd gotten drawn time before, and you know did as much YouTube searching and Google searching as I possibly could, trying to figure out what I needed to do, and. So I just showed up, got on the e-bike, which is crucial if you're going to go on that hunt and have an e-bike or plan on doing a lot of walking. 
And uh, I just did as much scouting as I could on the scout day, just checking roads and trails and checking real swamp heads, just like you generally would for any other any other critter you're hunting. But first time there, didn't see not a nothing. Sat all hunt hours, which you can only hunt till three o'clock in the afternoon. Really? And they say they yeah, you can only hunt till three o'clock. And they say the reasoning for that is because apparently when they first started this, they were having hunts that lasted till thirty minutes after sunset, and people were shooting them right there at line of legal light and it was taking them several hours into the night just to get them out and so apparently the staff i think more so just didn't want to have to deal with that anymore so they cut it at three o'clock and i sat every day of the i think it's three day three day hunt and sat till three o'clock every day didn't see nothing at all and then that second trip the original two spots i wanted to check out people had already beaten me to it and i'd got there at eight o'clock in the morning right when they allowed you to get on the island and people already beat me to it and just started checking these little, they're like kind of like sand mounds. And if anybody goes out there and hunts it, or if you have hunted it, you know what I'm talking about. Just these little sand mounds in between the ditches of water. And I followed this old rub line, sandbar rub line. And it's very noticeable the difference of a sandbar rub versus a buck rub. Because I was concerned I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But it's very much noticeable. About six foot off and the I ground. I just found the fresh. Exactly, yeah. When you're looking at it, just standing straight up and it's at your eye level, that's a sandbar. Right. <laughs> I just started walking down that trailhead there, that sandbar head, and uh, found plenty of tracks just going back and forth. There wasn't a one-way track. It was tracks going one and then coming back through. And I said, this is the freshest sign that I think you can find out here. So I just set up on that, and lo and behold, it was like 30, 30 minutes or so after legal light, very first day, that joker come walking through from about 300 yards away. Got some great footage of them, and I put two rounds into them, and I <laughs> knocked them down. That was a fantastic episode, man. What did you use? What was the rifle you used? It was a Thompson or CVA Optima. CVA Optima. Okay. I was shooting two fifty grain. Uh, I think it's the Thompson Center Spire Points. I think it's what they're called. Mm. With the yellow tips. That's what I use. Explain um, the staffing on the island and how that looks for someone who's never seen the island. You pull up, and what do you see? Okay, so you're going to pull up. They have two different campsites you can go to. One's on the uh, eastern side of the island, one's on the western side of the island. Um, The closest one would be your best bet in regards to safety, varying on weather conditions, because it gets quite gnarly out there. Uh, You think the Atlantic coast can get rough. That channel going through there around Mm -hmm. that island gets extremely rough. My first trip over there actually had several boats sink the very first night because of the way people were anchoring them up. But anyhow, uh, you go to one of the campsites you choose from. I've only been to one of them, and the one that I went to have a dock coming right off the bank. You can't use the dock for anything. Of course, you can't tie to it or anything like that. You can't use it to load stuff on. You have to pull up to the sand or as close as your boat can get to the edge of the island there. Unload your stuff by yourself. Staff is not going to help you unload your stuff. you got to walk. Closest spot is about 100, 150 yards from uh the camp is the closest place you can park your boat to start unloading and you're going to walk straight up a nice like 45 degree angle going up this sand so it's going to be kicking you on that carrying all your stuff and the campground is nothing fancy it is literally just woods is all it is there's no clear spot. yep yeah. just really just what it is and it's got a uh, little shack there that the staff stay at during the day and has a cleaning pole for you to clean your sandbar on i got a generator running for the staff nothing for you to use and <laughs> 
Yeah, that's about as primitive as you can get. You just pop your stuff up, check in with the staff, tell them your name. They're going to check the board to make sure your name is on the board. Then they'll give you a little flag and say, put your initials on there. And wherever you cut off the main trail to go in the woods, stick that flag in the ground so people know you're going in that block somewhere. Really? Yep. And then we got a safety meeting the very first day or the day before the hunt at 5 o'clock. I think it was 5 o'clock, 5 or 5.30. And uh, it's about a 30, 45-minute meeting varying on how many questions get asked and it's just general safety precautions and what to expect and their goal for the hunt and etc so you 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 facilitate yourself to your hunting spot and you ride a bike walk right yeah yep yep and you just stick that flag right on in there and and and, and i've heard i swear i've heard that there's like a pickup truck that comes around once or twice a day is that is that right yes only for the people that kill something Right, yeah, to haul your yeah. stuff, to help you haul yeah. okay. Right, like when I killed mine, I was able to call staff and ask them when they were planning to run their route, and they went ahead and left a little early since I was the only one on that side of the island that killed anything. That's exciting. <laughs> they and they, they, they don't stay there at night, the staff? Nope, nope. They leave uh, just a few hours after the – if they have a sandbar hanging up, they'll wait till you clean your sandbar. But once that's over with, they're gone. Now, do you? is there a shuttle that runs people out there, or do you have to take your own boat? It's either one, either one you want to do. I there is a shuttle. Yep, yep. There's a it's like a uh, ferry service type deal where you call oh. the guy that stays there. He's got a big twenty uh, some odd foot boat. And he'll shuttle people back and forth to the island. But I took my own boat because I'm the type of guy that I got to be in control of where I'm going. Sure. <laughs> so, so that's why I do a lot. Sure. You know, it's funny you say that about generator. I'm not going to name drop, but last year we hunted a very large piece of public access turkey ground in south florida below highway 70 so we'll leave it at that mm-hmm. but we, we found a camp hard to figure out <laughs> it's like vietnam but anyway we found a campground yeah. and we're staying there and we brought a generator we had tents but you know firemen you know we want box fans you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. this the camp host literally came and beat on the tent wall at like three like 12 o'clock at night it's like you can't have a generator running i'm like lady you're the host camper. You're the only one with power in this whole camp. And you go tell me I can't have power. Mm-hmm. And she was militant because when mm-hmm. she left, we cranked it back up and she came back again. Boy, she was serious. Communism at its finest. Oh my gosh, man. <laughs> I, was, I called her the crazy camp lady. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that hunt down there will teach you about life. It, yes. It'll, it, you I will find many stories. You will find your inner, inner, uh, inner wall. I think we hiked 8.3 miles the first morning and didn't even see a turkey track, Dang. much less hear a turkey. It's brutal. Um, yeah. So change in pace. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, go back to your sandbar, uh, Bull. I'm an official measure for Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, but I ain't never thought about measuring a sandbar deer. You killed a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, I could. I, mean, I couldn't tell you tell you what it scored because they didn't tell me and i ain't scored it myself right i don't know what's con- considered good but you would call it a three by three because it would you know three on each side and uh came up probably about oh i don't know maybe two foot off his head yeah, it was a real good one yeah he was a good one they said it was a good one for there and gutted out he was uh 250 on the nose wow Wow. So, did you gut him there before you moved him or did you do Yeah, I gutted him right right where he fell. I try I tried just to see if I could do it. I said, let me see if I can pull this thing. Yeah, it wasn't much. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 320 pounds. Yeah, exactly. When you um when you shoot your deer on all your hunts, do you do you um drag them all out or do you pack them out? For the most part, I'll drag them out. I've never packed one out before. I actually was considering getting into that this year though, packing them out instead of dragging them. 
let me tell you something. Uh, a couple episodes back, I talked about it, but I shot a 13 point this year here in Northeast Florida and it was way back. I mean, it's without anything, nice. it's 55 minute walk through the absolute worst stuff you ever seen in your life to get to where I was hunting. Didn't see him fall. Didn't see a lot of blood. Came back with a dog middle of the night. Ended up finding like 11 o'clock. He only ran about 80 yards, but a buck that big, I'd never seen him before because he's so far back there. I don't run cameras or bait or nothing. Um, We packed him out that night, and I will never do it another way from here on out. That's what I've heard. They say you pack one, you ain't going to drag another. Never. And I hunt western a lot, so we shoot a mule deer way back in. There's no way to get anything to him, and you're not dragging him seven miles, not a mule deer. I care. So from now on, I, I, I saddle hunt. We'll get into that in a little while. I carry game bags and a processing kit and every time I go hunting, no matter what, and unless I'm within a couple hundred yards of the road, I'm packing them out. It makes a big world of difference. <clears throat> what is, uh, what would you say is your favorite animal to hunt? Mm, man, that's. Is it crows? Cause I know you made an episode on crow hunting. <laughs> <laughs> man, I do love crow hunting, man. I've got several episodes of that. It's a target rich environment. Crow. That's very much a very fun. And you're making a difference for the turkey nest and such as well. Mm. But if I had to say, man, obviously, you know, deer hunting is, is wonderful and perfect and turkey hunting is wonderful and perfect. But there's something about chasing some bear. Really? Actually, yeah. There's something about that, man, that it just teeters the, the deer and turkey just a little bit for me. Seriously. Because where I'm at, we're overrun with them. And, you know, in Florida, you can't hunt bears and we yeah, hate them. Right. We oh, hate the same them. here, same here. Oh, they just I hate. Good. I, I hate them in the fact of we have so many in our state and we can't do nothing about it. That's the fact that I hate about it because I think they're super cool. I love watching them and just having one that you know you can actually hunt and kill. And when you finally see it, it's just an adrenaline rush and just a feeling of accomplishment like no other. Because I mean, they're already hard to see in most right. of the time. I actually had that conversation with somebody. I said, you yeah. know what? I would actually love them if we could hunt them. It just gets, adds exactly. one more dimension to our – and they're – what was it? Five years ago they had a season and there was a quota? Maybe seven years yeah, ago? It's almost almost 10 years ago. Almost. Oh. I think it was eight years now. Yeah. I'm getting old. but It was, 20, it was either 2014 or 2015 they did that hunt. And it was over in two days? It was over a day and a half. Day and a half. And they day still and went half. over quota. And they still, yep, they still went over and they showed up. They said, Oh, you have this is the thing that got me about that man. Cause now, see, now we're getting on a different level with me now. They, okay. they started that crap and I, I didn't, I didn't hunt it because at that time, you know, I was a lot younger and I was like, Oh man, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing with that. I don't want to spend, you know, I didn't have no money back then. I was a young kid. So I ain't gonna buy a hundred dollar permit for that. Well, they said, guaranteed, no matter what, you're getting two days, no matter what, anybody that buys a permit, we go over quota, you got two days, no problem. That's what they said statements been made well then day and a half passes by we got to shut the whole thing down no refunds what what are you what are you talking about these people you guaranteed them two days of hunting if they buy this permit and now you're saying you're just going to shut the whole thing down because you're getting over quotas which if you want to follow the science should right. tell you that apparently we got a lot more bears in this state than what people are wanting to claim game management mindset tells you yeah there are plenty Plenty. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're eat yep. up with them, right? Because, well, there's a big forest here, but they're they yes. just they just they're everywhere, man. They'll come right. in, and not only well, when a hog comes in, the bucks are gonna hang around. They won't be in there eating with the hogs for the most part. Say right. we hunt over quite. I have a lease down the road here too, and yep. that's fine. They live, you know, symbiotically. A bear comes in, in my experience, 
poof, the deer are gone for a couple a of weeks. Yes. And that bear will not leave. Period. Mm-hmm. And he'll chew your he's chewed. I've had one chew my cameras up. I've had mm-hmm. one chew my feeders, push my feeder over, chew it up. You know, it's just Yeah. We could go way down that rabbit hole, but I don't all right. Do exactly. you ever see yep. do you ever see a, a season coming back? Yes. They're going to have to. There's no way you. There's no possible way that they can keep cutting down the amount of trees that they're cutting and letting people move into the state that they are, and expect to not have to have a season. Just for pure safety measures, they're not going to be able to pass that. Now, granted, I do believe they could have done it a lot differently when they had the hunt several years back. I don't think it. That's just me. I don't think it should have been just that everybody gets a permit. I think it should have been a quota system, yeah. saying you know if we want a hundred bears cut out of bear management area, let's just say one, whatever. I don't know what the actual quota was, but let's say 100 bears from bear management area one. You should give out 100 quotas or 150 because obviously not everybody's going to be successful or even go. But just some kind of, of process of that. And you can still say we have a week-long season and make it later on in the in the fall when the bears are going to be somewhat less active. They're never not active in our state because they just that's just how it roll out here. But they do tend to get somewhat less active in amount of range that they're going as the season progresses. But they, it could be done a lot differently and a lot better, a lot more controlled than just, you know, everybody gets a permit and everybody goes hunt. Because that's how you just get a lot of stuff screwed up. You know, going back, I must, most people that live here know this, but bears around here get a lot bigger than, like, say, the West. I have a friend yes. in Missoula, Montana. That's where I shot my Miriams for my slam. And they're nice. obsessed with bear hunting. They, they, those Montanians love some bear hunting. Idahoans in and like a big bear for them, from what I'm gathering, is like 200, 250. That's a big mm-hmm. bear. But they're also dormant three, four, five months out of the year. They're they're hibernating. And I was telling him, I said, dude, back home, I think the Georgia record is what 600 pounds. Something I said like bears that, get yeah. huge, and it just blew his mind. And I'm like, I mean, I can't really help you out with coming for here for a hunt because I live in Florida. <laughs> and yeah, but it anyway. Oh. Tell us what you do for a living. How are you able to hunt so much? Man, yeah, I do get that question a lot, actually. I get that whole uh, must be nice saying a lot of times. People that <laughs> but, say they don't understand what hard work is, though, like the work that goes into it. That's a fact. So I am uh, own my own business. I'm a certified horseshoer. So I'm the guy that trims horse feet, put the horseshoes on the you know race horses and jumper horses and backyard horses, barrel horses, et cetera, et cetera. I do all that. So being my own boss... Obviously, it's easy for me to tell my boss that I want some days off. And he's like, yeah, totally. Go right on ahead. So that's that's how I make my my own scheduling with that. You get a paid vacation for your hard work. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I've got that going. And uh, I'm almost eight years into that now. And I've got amazing clients that, you know, they're on a six-week rotation. So it's one of those things I know every six weeks I have this much, this much, this much to do. So I can adjust certain people, move them up a little bit, move them down the line a little bit to accommodate for my trips that I want to go on. Right. And uh, also, of course, you know, YouTube isn't nothing like what I make horseshoeing, but I do make enough money to pay for trips and pay for licenses and stuff like that on the channel. I uh, just started getting to Amazon affiliate stuff, getting paid for that as well. And I'm actually just getting into a side hustle that I'm ho- hoping to turn into something bigger of doing like European mounts and starting in a little bit of taxidermy. So I haven't really done too much of advertising of that yet. Cause I want to go through this season and kind of just get some feelers for it a little bit more, do some more and you know mm-hmm. get a little bit better before I actually start taking on. But I believe be all you can be, man. 
I I do the Euro stuff um, and the turkey mounts. I mean, there's one right there, but yeah. um, I don't advertise it because I don't want to be pinned down that much with it. And even without mm-hmm. advertising, word of mouth is a like, hey, Buller to do it, you know, and I end up doing and not to pay my hunting leases. You know, it's yeah. it's it's something to do. And and now I'm getting so good at it, it's knock them out pretty quick. Right. Um, it's funny. Um, I have another buddy who's going to be on here in a couple of weeks is uh, Tanner Edenfield. He has a, a YouTube called Have Bo Will Travel. And he's a goofy dude. He's funny, but he's uh, he owns his own painting business. And he says the same thing. He's my boss lets me off for two months every day. <laughs> he, he just grinds, man. He, he don't turkey hunt, but he grinds from January through August and then yeah. takes you know, he went right. to Kansas last year, but he's doing well and I'm glad for him. I'm, I'm jealous of y'all. I'm a fireman. So I'm, I'm committed to the state of Florida for at least another six and a half years, but who's counting, right? That's right. So when you're hunting, we'll just stick to Florida right now. When, when you're hunting Florida, what's some terrain features that you see and you're like, I'm a guy, that's where I want to be. I want to check that out. Or you've had a lot of good experience with, whether it be you know, gallberry thickets or swamp heads or what, what do you, what do you key in on, say, go into a new place, a new WMA in Florida, say North region. So a lot of people that watch my channel, they would definitely know that I'm a fan of the nastiest, thickest swamps that you can find. That is my go-to for a lot of my types of hunting. But let's say if I'm looking at a brand new management area that I'm going to try out, one thing I'll always tell people when you're doing that, just pick you some blocks of woods out of that entire place and say, okay, I'm going to check out this block, this block, this block. And you say, well, what are you looking for in those blocks? I'm going to look for places that don't have easy access. And by easy access, I'm not talking about just a nasty thick swamp. I'm referencing trails just to get to a certain area or, of course, vehicle access. I'm staying as far away as vehicle access, from vehicle access as I possibly can. Now, of course, in our state, unfortunately, for the most part, with some exceptions, you tend to find most management areas have roads just going every which way all over the daggum place in there. So it can be quite difficult in our state to find that for the most part. But that's generally my go-to is the the thicker, nastier areas. And I was matter of fact, I was just on a podcast with Swamp and Stomp Outdoors a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. And one thing I told them that I did with this particular management area not far from me, it's quota hunt. And the last couple seasons, even when I didn't get drawn for it, I just drove through it on some of the opening days of the quota because you can just drive through if you want to. You don't, as long as you're not hunting. And I put pins on where everybody was at. Every time I seen a vehicle, and even the times I hunted it, I put a pin every time I seen a vehicle. And I put an imaginary 200-yard perimeter of a red circle around that. And for me, that was a pressure. That was mm-hmm. where hunting pressure is all in that diameter of the circle there. And then as you put these pieces together on your, whether you use Onyx, Hunt Stand, I use Hunt Stand, but whatever you want to use, they're all good. You can get a very good idea of a picture puzzle, basically. It's, it's a puzzle. You're putting all these pieces together and you can see, okay, there's pressure here, pressure here, pressure here. But there's this one little funnel area that tends to stay out of that circle because most people are hunting on the edge of it. And that's, yeah. I'm a big fan of hunting edges. I like cutting edges, but in certain instances the right instances but there's a lot of people that they just believe when we set up somewhere as i can see as far as i possibly can and this ought to be a good spot a buck ought to walk by here okay maybe maybe a year and a half old buck might walk by not know what he's doing guilty (laughs) yeah something like that and i mean if that's what you want to try to go after and he's legal then by all means get after it but for me i've you know i want to go after the the what i consider better stuff the harder to get to stuff and now granted opening day very first doe that walks by you know rest in peace but it's 
one of those things, man, it's, I, I like a little bit of a challenge to it and the accomplishment, even though I can shoot a little basket rack six point and be totally ecstatic with it. It'd be just the same way as when I kill big old 10 point out in public land. It's the same thing, but it's just your, your mindset of expect, expect, how do you say that word? Uh, you're ex- expecting, but expectancy, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something along that line. <laughs> well, it, the buck I shot this year, this shows about you, but the buck I shot this year was nine and a half years old. I had his teeth sent yeah. off. I didn't know he was there. That was blind luck. The yeah, only thing I got had going for me that was a good decision on my part on that was getting deep to where nobody was mm-hmm. at. And I know that's what you're talking about. Like you can draw that 200 yard circle around these trucks you see, and you can look on your map. I use Onyx. But you can look mm-hmm. on your map and see, okay, he's probably hunting that head right there. Or right. He's, I know where he's going. He's going right there. And then most hunters aren't going to grind like you. Those swamp right. and stop guys, I love. I love their channel. They grind. They they go hard and they go hard in some really rough areas, and and it, and it shows when their production. But I'm right. sure you're doing the same thing. Get to where people don't want to be. And when he's talking about swamps, guys that are listening that aren't from Florida, nasty. All swamps in Florida are nasty. <laughs> if this guy's looking for the worst nastiest swamp, you're likely waiting in, and. Climbing under vines, getting slapped in the face, banana spiders. Yes. Rough stuff. Yes. But when you go into those places, you access older class deer. Right. I'm not sure that one I killed had seen many hunters in his life because the closest road, this is a little sliver of private that went to public, but the closest road on the public was like 1.2 miles away. And it was all that nasty stuff all the way to it. So likely he lived in Utopia back there. And it was was 1130 and late in the morning when I, when I killed him. Yeah, I shot him, you know, but uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about, um, I have a theory, big bucks move between 12 and two or 10 and two, because most of my bigger bucks in my life, whether it be Georgia or wherever, I bet you three of my top five bucks were killed after a 10 a.m. Yeah. Do you you hunt midday at all? Uh, Yeah. Generally when I go hunting, man, I try to make it where I can stay all day. Mm. Like anytime, anytime I go now, granted early, you know, bow season for the most part, I'm staying till about noon. I'll get out go back eat some lunch whatever if i can hunt in the afternoon i normally be back in by 2 30 normally at like the latest so it's pretty much an all-day sit for the most part but i do believe on to certain extent of certain situations of the not necessarily a certain time frame of it's only 10 and 2 but you know the theory of that around the 10-ish time frame to 2 because of people leaving and coming back in and matter of fact back probably four years ago maybe now three years ago i was hunting some public land in south georgia and uh it's got it on my channel a thing is called like heartbreak or something like that because it was a major heartbreak this i had a buck come out it was about 10 30 in the morning and this place was it was a small management area i think it was like only four thousand some odd acres and there was over 200 people that had checked in to that management area so wow. it was insane at the amount of people and it was a rifle hunt there's so a general <laughs> so, unit like a walk-in unit yeah, just a general, it's like a bonus hunt. They have okay. like what's called a bonus hunt there, meaning that if you shoot a buck, it doesn't count toward your state limit. And it was during one of those hunts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a buck come out of the swamp, and he was every bit of probably 130 inches. And But when he came out, he was, you could tell he got bumped somewheres in that near that swamp because he was coming out scared you can tell he was getting some further is what he was oh man he was getting it trying to get out of there he had the most worried look on his face when he popped out that thing and he popped out so quick he threw me off and me just you know caught up in the moment i threw up without a rest or anything and 
he was facing me and he spotted me. I was sitting in a ground blind and he was just looking at me and I knew there was a major trail like 10 feet in front of him that he was going right to. And I said, if I don't shoot him right now, he's about to just be gone. Cause he was already trotting, kind of galloping out. And I said, man, if he just starts to trot, that's it. He ain't going to stop. So he was staring at me and I don't like taking straightforward shots cause your kill zone gets shrunk a whole lot more. So I just put it center of his neck and I shot man. And, I knew when I shot that was a miss. I watched the footage over in slow motion, and it just, you saw the, uh, like that shock wave of the bullet flying through the air. You seen it yeah. go right past his neck and blow up in some dirt behind him, and then he took off running. So I have an experience like that. I love going out west to the Rocky Mountains in Idaho. I have a friend, Jeff Zausch. His family's been hunting the same valley for 50 years. They have a little rudimentary camp. They set up on public land, general tag unit, which is hard to find bucks out west on a general tag unit. Um, the first, now listen, I shot all summer. I'm so excited to go see the Rocky Mountains. I shot my rifle all summer. Now I do a lot more. I, I reload and I do a lot more. But back then I had a Remington Sendero, which if anyone doesn't know, it weighs like 17 pounds. It's ridiculous. It's a bench rifle, but it's really accurate. Yeah. The first morning I've ever seen a Rocky Mountain sunrise. We hike up this mountain to start our hike. We get about two miles down and we come over a ridge and at 85 yards on the trail we're walking now, left of the trail, sheer drop, right of the trail, sheer ascent. It couldn't get better. There's yeah. four mule deer bucks because it's the first week of October. They're still battered up out there. They don't let you out in the rut. I got you. Four big bucks standing in the trail and Jeff's like, all right, get ready to shoot one. He's never hunted the East Coast. I've never hunted the West Coast. Apparently mule deer are stupid. I didn't know this. I freaked out, threw my gun off because where we're from, you see a buck, he's gone. Yeah. Right. I mean, you better shoot now, right now, you know? Right. I got that Sendero. I was out of breath because I'm fat and I'm a flatlander, you know? <laughs> and I threw up and I was like, boom, buck's standing there looking at me. And Jeff's like, dude. You... And so we started shooting and they ran down the mountain. We didn't even cut a hair on none of them. <laughs> and it was a big one, man. It was like, I'm not just saying that because I missed him. Even Jeff's yeah. like, that was the size of the ones on grandpa's wall. And like, if, if they mount, if an Idaho and mounts a mule deer, it's 30 incher. I mean, maybe, you know, so yeah. it, it hurt me so bad, man. I was, I was heartbroken for five days and I asked him, I was like, are we going to another chance? Are we going to get another shot like that? He's like, no, not a chance. Not <laughs> Thanks for the honesty. <laughs> Thanks for the honesty. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take bad news. You know, if it's up front. He's like, man, you had time to lay down on the trail, put your bipods out, and shoot him. He's like, Mulder, don't run away. Well, fast forward six days later, I, I shot a three point, three by three, three by mm -hmm. four. They call they count one side out there. Yeah, but um, I was happy as could be. But he was a two year old, and the one I missed was probably a six year old. But mm -hmm. I hunted another four or five years out there before I ever got a shot at a decent one again, and. When I laid down to shoot, it was in the afternoon. The sun was setting. It was on day six. It was like 17 miles. My gun misfires. Mm -hmm. This gun I'd shot probably 200 times over the summer. It misfires. It was a Tika. I'll go ahead and say it. Misfires. I, I, I try through all the rounds I got, put new rounds in the mag, misfires. And I'm like, this buck's feeding on this hillside. It's, 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 it's the second chance I ever had in Idaho. And it took me six years. Finally, I think it was the 28th time I pulled the trigger. Oh, my God. It went off. And somehow it scared me because mm -hmm. I'm all about breathing, focus, click. I'd open the bolt, close it, breathing, focus, click. And I, it almost got repetitive where I wasn't even thinking yeah. about it. And when it went off, it scared me. Yeah. So I look over the scope and I see him peg legging down the hill. I was like, oh. 
long story short, I got him and I sold that Tika immediately. I don't know what the, <laughs> it wasn't the, it wasn't the bullets, you know, those are factory rounds. Right, um, right. But going back to your deer hunting, my, my favorite episode for deer with you is, is the one that you got on the ground leaning against the tree. Oh, the one from last season. Will you tell that story? Yes. So we're hunting me and my grandpa. We went out to this one particular management area been hunting it all my life since I was a little kid. And this year I said, I'm going to go ahead and check out some new places. We've never, never checked out before. And the reason we never checked them out before <clears throat> you've, you've got to use certain equipment to get to it. That's all I'm going to say. But growing up, it was always small little deer. We were seeing shot over there, a little yearling, you know, year and a half old bucks, you know, two and a half, maybe and just a little basket rack deer. And I always thought, you know, there's a lot of deer here. I see a lot of deer every time I come out, but they're just so tiny. There's just nothing really there. I said, I've got to get where there's again, no people, no nothing. I said, all right. So about two hours to get to this one particular area where we get off this equipment. And then I decided this was about the same. Everything was the same of habitat wise. And I said, I'm going to walk down on this. I look, looking at the map, you've seen this Creek cutting through the swamp head. Now, again, this is every bit of at least 10 miles from the nearest road, this particular spot. So I said, all right, this is, this is where I'm going to cut in at, and I'm just going to start walking. It was our very first day there. It was going to be more so just scouting than anything else. It was an afternoon. We got there about 3 o'clock. So I'm just going to walk. So I started walking, 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 walking. I kept walking, kept walking, kept walking, kept walking. Well, an hour later, just a steady walk, finally got to that creek that I seen on the map. I said, you know what? I can't cross this. It was a lot deeper than I thought. So I'm just going to go ahead and just sit down right here. So I just brought a chair with me, propped the chair up by a big old oak tree, which you know, growing up, one thing that always stuck with me is make sure the tree is bigger than you are. Sure. So this is propped up by the tree. Didn't have no shooting stick. So I grabbed me a, a broken off limb about four feet tall. I said, I'll use this. This is good enough. And we sat there. And as I'm talking to the camera, doing my intro to the video, I'm saying, I literally just said, I don't expect to see any deer here this evening because it doesn't look that good. And a doe walks out maybe 50 yards. I said, oh, there's deer right there. Just put the gun up, looked at her, seen it was a doe, no buck behind her. We're just getting into to rut time in this particular area. She goes by, seen another doe about an hour later. Well, it had been now maybe in 30 minutes before dark, 45 minutes before dark. I look along the edge of the creek, heard something walking, knew it was a deer. Couldn't see because it was pretty thick. And then that buck I killed, all I seen was just a wide rack coming right to me with his head straight to the straight to the ground. I said, oh, God. And I was not ready by any means whatsoever. <laughs> I was already getting Those ready. Those are the best hunts. <laughs> yes, man. It just caught me so off guard. He was like 50 yards already whenever he walked out. That's when I seen him. He's like already 50 yards. And I'm on the edge of the creek. He's on the edge of the creek. He's coming right to me, facing me. How, how much can I really move to make this work without him seeing me? So I waited till he finally popped his head behind a tree. And that's when I made my move to get my stick up, get the camera rolling. And I was offhand at that point because of the way I had to lean over the tree because of where mm -hmm. the camera was sitting. And he was, I can't, can't remember how many steps he was. I want to say it was maybe. Not, not many, that's for sure. Man, it was, I think it was like 12 steps from where I was at. And he was quartering to me real hard, but he had a tree blocking perfectly right where his vitals were at. And I was like, I could shoot him in the neck, but I really don't want to because if I kill this deer, I want him out in the steer and I don't want to have a big old hole in his neck. And he's just sitting there staring at me. And I was looking at the camera throughout my perithial and I could see the cameras on good. I'm like, I got it. He's just got to take two steps. That's all he has to do. And so he's either going to bolt 
or he's going to step. And of course, in that heat of the moment, your mind's going to, I just say, screw it and just shoot him in the neck. And then oh, I yeah. noticed the camera, cameras started tilting up because apparently I did not tighten part of that stand enough to where that back weight wasn't going to make it start tilting. And that camera slowly started tilting up and they got faster and faster tilting up. And I said, he's about to bolt. Sure enough, he took two steps. I said, that's all I need. Bam, shot. He's laying flat on the ground whenever I recovered from it. Looked at the camera and reviewed the footage. Man, as soon as that camera got him out of the frame is when I shot because it was tilting up so quick. And if y'all see that, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But man, talk about a talk about a dump of some dopamine to the mind. <laughs> you know, I actually almost kind of like the fact that the camera did that because it makes it real. It makes right. it like it, it, it displays how much stress you're going through and how many things going through your mind. And again, like I said earlier, that commitment of that camera, like Bubba, I'm not there yet. I'm buying a camera this year and I say it every <laughs> year, but about the time I saw him at 50 yards, I'm like, yep, screw the camera. He's dying. But <laughs> that's why you have a good show is because you commit to exactly. that. Because you see the camera pan. What was the name of that? Deep, what was the title of that episode? I don't remember. My, be- I think. I can't now as you're saying I can't remember. I don't know if I made because I made a, a YouTube short out of it too, and I named one of them my biggest Florida buck ever because that yeah. was my big or is my biggest Florida buck I ever fine killed. Buck. That was a fine yeah. buck. And then just two days later, I killed a uh, another. Did you see that video? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Two that days later, that's a heck of a hunt. <laughs> man, two days later, knocked another stud down for that place. You should have played the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> But no, um, when you see the camera start moving, it doesn't take long to figure out what's going on. Then you hear the boom. <laughs> <laughs> then I finally get that thing back up there real quick, and you see just the look of awe on my face that that really just happened. I'm going to start doing more OTG hunting this year on the ground because there's some places I find, and I'm so, like, mentally I'm stuck. I'm like, I got to find a tree. I got to find a tree. Like, I, there's mm-hmm. a spot on some public right here where I hunt, and it backs up to some private that nobody hunts, but um, it's a creek. And I got down this creek, and I could probably see 30 yards max. But it was so thick, getting up in the tree is not an option. But in that 30 yards, I bet I see 12 rubs, fresh rubs. Now, this is late late bow coming into muzzleloader. And so I just wrote it off last year, two years ago. I'm like, why would I do that? That was a hot spot. If I yeah. get a day when I got good wind coming down that creek to me, or vice versa, I'm just going to go in and sit on the ground. I don't care if I can see 30 yards or not, because my biggest mental block is I always want to get to where I can see a long ways. And, right. you know, I, I always told myself I'd rather see a deer and not kill one than to sit three sits and not see a buck. My cousin, who used to be on the show, he's different. He kills a lot of bucks in bow season because he hunts tight. He hunts bed and area, he hunts feed trees, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I want to ask you about that. Um, <clears throat> what do you – do you ever target feed trees? If I can tell that it's a hot feed tree, like, for instance, quick example, one place out that I was hunting some public land – it's uh, primarily just hardwoods, most of the whole thing is. But I found this one red oak tree that was dropping real hot. And underneath that red oak tree, it was cleared out. Like you've seen literal just pieces of the red oaks all over the ground, not from squirrels. Like mm-hmm. it was very noticeable, this is deer, and it was just dirt. It was like you literally just raked all the leaves out of there and just filled it up with dirt and put crunches of oaks all right there. That's I did hunt a spot. I mean, it was like, when you seen it, it was like, oh, I am stupid if I don't hunt this thing. Right. And uh, 
Yeah, I hunted that, and I I seen several deer, and there had one nice eight point come in, and he was just at forty yards. It was during bow season, and for me, I, I my max pin is forty, but I don't want to shoot forty in general because mm-hmm. of the time a deer can react from you shooting to when it can duck down and you make a bad shot on that deer or just miss it in general, I tend to just stay 30 as being the most ethical distance. Like I said, I can shoot 40. It's not an issue. It's just for being ethical about it and not taking a chance. I stick with 30. And so he he was right at 40, got to 39. And I said, I ain't doing it. I can't do it. And my mental self wouldn't let my, let me do it. See my my money pin for something the way my eyes dilate. I don't know. Forty is my money pin. Like, but I back in my younger days, I shoot out to sixty, and I would shoot a deer at sixty, and it's just it was it's unethical, like you said. Uh, but I'm actually more accurate at forty than thirty. But ideally, you want to be a chip shot. I've shot some bucks in Illinois oh, yeah. where they're they're seventeen yards, and you ain't got to think about it. Just dump, they're mm-hmm. done. You know. Yep. <clears throat> yeah so, my my bow my bow stands. I always try to set them up for a twenty yard shot every right. single time. Do you ever, have you ever hunted any persimmon trees? You ever find many of them? I cannot find persimmon trees for the life of me. I've got a client uh, that I do and she's got several persimmon trees. And every time I go over there, I'm always looking at them saying, okay, this is what they look like. (laughs) This is what I got to try to find. I've taken pictures of them on my phone. So I remember what they look like. Right. I cannot find them things for nothing. Just remember soft green leaves with black specks on them. That's usually a persimmon. And the the mosaic tile on the tree trunk is what gives it off for me. But like Chris Spikes and Robert Carter, those guys hunt South Georgia WMAs. And they hunt the crap out of persimmon, like fallen persimmon trees, and it's almost unfair. They hunt with longbows, so they're they're oh, hardcore. Wow. They got to be twelve yards and in. Right. But and then I watched one of Chris Spikes' episodes, and he doesn't do podcasts. He just he's a dude, like he's just an old country dude that shoots a longbow and don't want no fame. But man, yeah. that joker be like, yeah, see another persimmon tree dropping pretty good. There went one right there. I'm like, it just sound like rain falling. He just, <laughs> here come a buck. Whop! He'll smoke him and then take him back to the truck. He's just, a, I like the crap out of him, but he won't come on the show. He won't go on any shows. But um, I've always <laughs> wanted to find that magic persimmon tree that I see in all these these shows. I, I They must not be a lot of them around here. They must be most in central South Georgia, Alabama, stuff like that. But they say if you find one dropping, it's either hog or deer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So on that, how do you... How would you say you, you, do you change your hunting style between hunting Georgia, Florida? I don't know if you're on Alabama at all. I can't remember, but do you, when you go to a new WMA. No, just Georgia, Florida. So Georgia, Florida, how do you change your hunting style or do you, you hunt for the same thing, swamp edges or river bottoms? I, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's literally spot on the same. Every single place that I go to, I did get to hunt the mountains last year. Uh, for early October rifle bear deer hunt I was going after bear when I went but that was my first time in that type of terrain and I definitely felt like a big time rookie mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got there because mm-hmm. I had no idea I had an, an idea in the realm of I would think a deer or bear would travel this particular spot and go through this particular type of terrain but I was the confidence was not built up very much on that hunt i did find one hot spot that's some red again red oaks were dropping and the bears were hitting it real hard but uh yeah for that type of stuff man when you start getting out of those southerly river bottoms swamp heads you know stuff like that pine forest that's starts messing me up a good good little bit there it's just simply because i don't have the experience in it 
I will be going back up there to the mountains. Matter of fact, for opening the bow season this year up in Georgia, going to that same place, going to spend the whole first week. Must be nice. Yes, it is. I'm spending the whole first <laughs> week up there. We're going to be chasing after bear because that's the best time to get after them is as soon as it opens up. I mean, you don't have a wife calling you telling you the kids are being bad and uh, the toilet's not flushing and the cows are out and you don't oh, have none man. of that. It's me, my dog, my horse, and that's it. <laughs> Oh man. Um, so when you go out of town, you camping in a tent? Yeah. You camping in this, your truck or Yeah, I did have a uh, camper I was pulling behind me a lot. Did that for a few years, but I've actually started getting more into I call it the luxury primitive camping now. I've got some of the what I consider some of the best the best primitive equipment you can get. Matter of fact, made a video this past turkey season mm-hmm. called Why Did I Switch from a Camper to a Tent? Y'all need to check that one out because I point everything out on why I switched, and man, it's it's been the best move that I've made. Now, I do plan on taking my camper to a local place here in South Georgia. I like to hunt for archery, just because it's more than likely going to be, you know, 100 degrees, <laughs> so it'd be nice to have an AC, Yeah, but it's going to be tent everywhere else, man. I had a friend tell me about this this week, and I'm going to drop it to you. It's called Air Toppers, so you all know the camp, the toppers for your truck, you know, they go over the bed. This one is like the paddleboard material and it deflates and goes away. But when you get to where you're going, you blow it up and it's like a topper and it has a bed air mattress in it. And I'm really going to start looking at it for going out West. And it's it, air topper. It's an air topper. It's called getflated.com. And I, I, I don't like said, I, I'm not sponsoring nothing, but it's good yeah, to look yeah, at because yeah. it literally you just blow it up and then you got a camper in your bed. It's, it's pretty nice. It's that real tough material that paddle boards are made out of. So, I mean, you can't even, you about can't even puncture it with a knife. And I'm just mad I didn't think about it. That's what I'm <laughs> mad. <laughs> I think it's going to change the game for for guys like Dave Owens and stuff like that. That, you know, because yeah. you can go all year without a topper and then just boop, pop it up when you get there. Right. Um, How many days do you think you hunt a year? Oh, man. I'd say all, all. Are we talking just big game or just all together? We'll, be, we'll go big game, turkey deer. Okay, okay. I'd say, and this, you know, just kind of a ballpark here. I would say I probably hunt all through the season. Man, you're looking forty to sixty days. Wow. Well, that's what it takes, right? Must be nice. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the cool thing. Cool. Yeah, cool. cool thing about Florida is very on where you hunt in the state. You can be hunting the rut right now in South Florida and be bow hunting right now the rut or and wait and hunt it all through the state all the way to February out in the far part of the panhandle. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. you, we have a very liberal hunting season when it comes to varying on how much you're willing to travel. I read one time that Florida... There's only one month out of the year where there's not some kind of breeding or rutting going on at some part of the state of Florida. And that's June, I think, is what it is. Like it, it, that Scientifically, that's what they've proven by fond drops and dates and stuff. Yeah. So let's change gears. Personally, I, just for personal reasons, I want to know, and I'm sure yeah. other people are curious. Folks, I'm telling you, check out his channel. You're going to love it. But what kind of cameras do you run and how many do you mess with? Do you do GoPros? Do you do – I know you do a static camera also. Yeah, so right now I'm actually only have two, well, I guess you could say three cameras now. I just upgraded my, uh, I call it my main camera, the one I film, you know, my turkey, my deer, bear, etc. I had a Canon G20. That's what I've been filming with for the last couple years. I just upgraded to the 
want to say it's the Canon G70. It's the the newest one they just came out with, the 2022 model. Um, I think it's Canon G70. But anyhow, I upgraded that one as my main camera shoots in 4K. So uh, definitely excited to see how that does this season. And I also upgraded my GoPro. I was using an old GoPro Hero 3 from way back in the day. Mm-hmm. That's what I was filming most of my crow hunts with and fishing videos with. But just this past uh, turkey season, no, it was past uh, hunting season. Matter of fact, last year's season because I filmed some crow hunts with it. I upgraded to the GoPro Hero 9 or the GoPro, no, 9 Black Edition. That's what it was, the Black Edition. My son has started YouTube, and it's called Ducks and Bucks, and he is, he's 11, but man, I was like, he's a country kid. He does all kinds of cool stuff, you know? He is so nuts yeah. about YouTube right now, and I, I'm more on the Instagram, TikTok side of things, and but I'm, I'm buying a camera. So my, yeah. my question to you, what is, what, if you could say one thing is the most important aspect of a camera for hunting, what would it be with your 4K? For you just starting out, I'd say no. Go, go get you, if I had to recommend one, I'd say a Canon G20. And the reason I say that, obviously, is because I have experience with it already. But because I have that experience with it, I can say that it's, it's I would say it's a happy medium of price range, which is going to be beneficial to a lot of people. Right. And for right. the quality that you're getting, I don't think you can get any better for what is there. <clears throat> and as, as you've seen my videos all from these past several years, that's what I've been shooting with. Yeah, they're great. This year, yeah. yeah, and this year you're going to see a lot better just for the fact because 4K can definitely make things pop a little bit better. And I've been changing up some of my editing, got whole new uh, computer software stuff. So it's going to be changed up on my behalf of making everything a bit bit better. Got some ideas I want to play with. Um, but for if you want to get you a little uh, hand camera, like a GoPro type deal to add into the mix, I would say go no, no uh, earlier than a GoPro five you really won't want to go any oh or, yeah. i guess you'd say later than that yeah my son wants a gopro for christmas so i mean he's gonna get one and that'll maybe be good for his little he just with his little buddy they bass fish and they duck hunt and stuff like that yeah yeah um another important question does the camera arm matter that the style brand articulation what, what do you say for that i'll tell you what i got is a homemade camera arm that my grandpa welded together it is oh. a it is a non-adjustable camera arm it is one length probably about 25 inches coming out from the tree and it's got a brace that he put together on it and i just screw in uh the uh, tripod head into the end of that camera arm and that's i can move the tripod head you know because it's swiveling on the arm Right. But you can't like right. move if the deer is coming up on my left side because I shoot I shoot right handed, so I have the camera on my right side, and so I can see the uh, uh, frame on it as well. You can't move it over to the left side. That deer has to be able to get in view of where that arm is stationed at. But I have heard of I believe a company called Four Arrows. I believe is what it's called. Fourth Arrow. Fourth Arrow. Yeah, yep. I've heard I've heard that's a pretty you know fairly cheap one for what it is and has some good qualities to it and its integrity and is able to be maneuvered you know you can switch it all the way around tree you want and you know you said you hunt saddles right you sat up saddle hunt so it it would be good for that for I'm sure try, i'm trying i want <laughs> i want to like it so bad but i'm telling you do you saddle hunt at all you know, man, I was really considering it about this past month. I did so much research and it had it set up in my cart of ready to buy. And then I really got to thinking about it. And 
you know, everybody at Saddle Hunts, my hat's off to you. It's just one of those things for me, my whole life of deer hunting. I can't think of a time where I went to a spot and said, I want to hunt here. And I was unable to hunt that spot because I couldn't get a tree. It may not have been the exact tree I wanted to be in, but it was still a good tree where I could have a good wind and see what I needed to see. I haven't had any issues of that. And so why, why spend the money on it and have that? I, I know it's another tool to have and it's good for certain areas. And, you know, if there's some kind of a thicket where the trees are as big around as, you know, a little bit bigger than a softball. You can't really put a climber on that. So right. I guess it'd be good with that. But then again, if I'm in a place like that, I'm just going to sit on the ground. <laughs> right. So for me, so, it just doesn't make sense. All right. I want to get into saddle hunt. I bought the whole set of trophy line. I bought all the setup. Um, the, the only advantage I see with the saddle, I'll give you the pros and cons if you want to know from my perspective. Yeah, for sure. Mobility. You put your saddle on when you leave the truck and you go. It, you ain't got to carry that clinking climber behind you that's grabbing all the bushes and stuff that could I've hunted out of for years and years on public land. I like the fact that it's mobile. And when I get there, I got th- I to carry three. St- I don't do the one-step method. I can't do that. I've seen videos of it. It does not look fun at all. But I, what I don't like about it is you can only get about 14, 15 feet with three steps for me. I don't like aiders and stuff. like I like stuff dangling, tangling up, getting in the way. No. I wish. And why is it so expensive? The yes. saddle, the saddle stuff is expensive, and to like get the steps actually do weigh you down when you put them on your pack it, more than you'd think, but it's not as bad as a climber. But like for the really like the the steps that are really cheap or a light, I mean, they're, I mean they're hundred fifty dollars a step or, or more. It ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm torn honestly. I like I understand the concept of it. Some like my cousin, he's hardcore on it. He hunts out of a saddle year round. And it, it hurts your hips. You get you get your hips ready for it because you're sitting in, you know, just a, a stirrup. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, they make stuff now that I'm gonna get that that braces your hips. But to me, a lot of my success when I do kill bucks deep in is when I can get in a climber and get up 30 feet. You know, get out of the scent column. And I think there's right. a there's a lot to that because if I'm 14 right. foot off the ground, I might as well be sitting on the ground unless you want to shoot over some gallberries exactly. or some palmettos or something. I still think they smell me bad. Now, now I'm torn on that that aspect of it. Yeah, but you're you're not as cumbersome. Anyway, I was going to ask you if you ever tried. It definitely has this application. Yeah. If if you're going in, say a WMA in Alabama you've been to, and you want to go in, dag I'm half a mile, get past everybody else. It's a lot easier just wear your saddle. Right. And when you go up the tree, you come down the tree, you got all your stuff with you. Next time you go in, what do you think about this? I'm bringing this up. I hear a lot of guys that say they never hunt the same tree twice. What's your opinion? I- I don't, I think that's a personal thing. I've killed plenty of deer in the same tree. Lucky trees. I've killed a lot of deer out of a lucky tree. They're just perfect. They're set up perfect for what they need. Yeah. But I'm thinking that's got to be exhausting (laughs) to look for a new tree every time you go hunting, man. Because if you got one that's set up on a edge of a creek, perfect shot, you know, a funnel point, whatever. Right. Why change? Why change? Well, that's that's the same concept. That'd be like saying, You've got a big uh, piece of private sitting over some food plots. You got a box stand sitting on it. I'm not going to hunt that box stand twice. What are you talking about? That's, that's stupid. Why would you not do the same concept? I agree, man. And I, that might be for the guys that are getting in super tight on betting or something. I don't know because you ain't going to push a six year old buck very much. He's going to be gone. But yeah, I'm not good enough. I don't guess to get in tight on betting like that. I know people that are. 
How let, me, let me just jump in real quick. I'll, I just don't want to go past this. It just came on mind because for those type of people, it's if you're hunting a tree that you can't hunt twice, you're not on the right tree. Right. That's the, that should be your, if I can't hunt this spot over and over without running the risk of pushing out this deer, you're not in the right setup. You need to change it up. I think back to every property I've ever hunted. There's been one tree that's been like, for whatever reason, I can, I kill a buck every year out of that tree. Yep. And and now I'm not mobile, I guess. A lot of it's in private land, but um well two things. <clears throat> when you go to a new WMA, new new public, you hunt almost exclusively public, right? Yes. Yes. I've got um we've got some family land up in uh, Worth County, Georgia. And oh. we go the yes. <laughs> oh, you can't you can't ski past that. <laughs> Worth <laughs> County has got some giant but they got a lot of bucks. Worth County is truly the home of the Giants in the state of Georgia, buddy. Yes, it is. <clears throat> and we are we are a 400-acre piece of woods of just a solid block that is completely surrounded by these little, uh, I, I guess you just, I don't know what the technical term, but they're just little slivers of woods that go miles and miles until they hit the next actual block of woods. But other than those little slivers, that property is completely surrounded by agriculture. Mm. And gen generally, they're always growing peanuts. In that there ain't particular. nothing. There ain't nothing better to Justin hunting in the south and sitting over a peanut field. Yeah, yeah. And my we, goodness, that place is ate up, my man. And I, matter of fact, uh, the video of uh, my birthday buck from last year that that buck was killed. The one I shot at ten steps. That mm. one was killed on that property. And I, we've killed some great, great days. Just. Worth County's just got some big daggum deer, man. And a lot but, of them. But, and but other than that, yeah, it's, it's all public. All public. Okay, so when you go into a new WMA, I've done it myself. Say that one we were talking about in South Florida, unnamed. Mm -hmm. How discouraged do you get by boot tracks? Because I know you've seen them when you find them. Yeah, I, I don't really get discouraged by it, man. It, it's one of those things of, because again, you don't, you don't exactly know where they're at and being a new management area, you can't say, I know where all the pressure's at because you just don't, uh, you can go one time and figure it out. Sure. But your first time there, you're not going to know where all the pressure's at and you'll see boot tracks, but are these boot tracks going miles in or are they going just a couple hundred yards? In? You really don't know because you also don't know the lay of the land. Figuring out the lay of the land is the top priority for you to figure out where the pressure is really going to be at. So, no, I, would, I wouldn't say I get discouraged by it. It all depends also so many factors on how many access trails there are, uh, how easy the access is to get into certain areas, and that's going to base on what kind of boot tracks I see and whatnot. You do a lot of scouting. You have a great episode on scouting a swamp, and it looked pretty miserable <laughs> when you went. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, people, the exploring a uh, hideaway one, that one. People should check that episode out if you wonder what we're talking about with scouting a swamp because my man goes in deep. But Exploring a hideaway swamp, that one there. That's a, that, that was a pretty cool, though. See, that's that's something a lot of people aren't doing. It, yeah. It's showing you the the roughs, the, you know, the homework, doing the right. whether. All right, so the number one way to kill a turkey, in my opinion, is doing your homework because there's been times late morning, haven't heard anything. And I say, man, I saw strut marks on that back road back there. And I'm, you know, go back there. And then lo and behold, here he comes in silent because that's his strut zone. That's where he hangs out during the day, whatever reason it was there. <clears throat> do you, when you go to scout all this stuff, how do you handle ticks? Cause you, 
are you familiar with seed ticks? People call them different things. Yes, yes. The ones that look like a little pin dot. They, like like a grain of pepper. They yes. are the worst yep. thing in the state of Florida, and you won't change my mind. My legs right now, from my knees down to my sock line, there's about 500 red itchy dots on my legs. And do you use permethrin? I do not. I've never used it. I know I should because I've heard some great stuff about it, but I, I haven't used it. When I'm going in scouting, like, for instance, that when I went through that one swamp, I just sprayed my whole legs with daggum uh, uh, repel. And, just, and I still got some on me, still. Let me change your life. Spray your pants down with permethrin. Let them dry. They're good for like six washes, and it works. It truly works. I, I, Does I take, have any smell to it? Nope, nothing. You literally, you lay your, your scout. I call them my scouting clothes. I got the green, um, what are they called? The, like the material of 511 pants, and that's what I scout in because they're lightweight and they're not so heavy. I lay them all yeah. out at the beginning of the summer. I spray them all down, let them dry. You're good to go. And it's it's almost like magic, and it really, truly works. They, they they'll, they won't be any ticks on you for the most part. Changing gears just a second. Do you ever plan on going yeah. out west? That is my dream hunt. My dream hunt is a, a archery elk hunt during the rut. That is my true dream hunt. And I was actually looking at some Midwestern whitetail hunts this year, but I don't. I don't think I'm going to make it quite quite out there. But I do want to venture out to a different state this year. Just haven't decided yet. You never know until you go, and once you go, you realize it's not it's not that big of a deal. But you need to understand certain logistics when you get out there: what to eat, what to camp with, what to hike in. Are you going to hike in? Are you going to day hike? The most successful way is to pack in, carry your tent on your back, go in a couple, you know, eight miles, and set up camp there. That way, when you wake up in the morning, you're listening for bugles. Hmm. You're literally starting your morning in your hunt zone. Now the day hikers. They, they they hike anywhere from seven to ten miles every day, but you're beating them already. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you ever yeah. want to get out there and do some stuff like that, get with me. I'll I'll give you all the ins and outs. It's it's right. it'll truly change your life. That, like I said, that's a dream for me. We're about to uh, we're over an hour now, but I want to ask you one more thing. You ever uh, been to the um, national uh, NWTF Turkey banquet in Nashville? I have not. I'm not. I went for the first time last year. I'm telling you, it's awesome. You need to think about going. If you're if you're NWTF member, you get a uh, like a lot cheaper rate on the room. And mm -hmm. the second me and my wife got there, it was like mecca for me. I walk in, I'm just like, almost like the golden arches, man. Like I walked in, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And everybody yeah. there, I'll say this, I know a lot of big names in the hunting industry for good and for bad, and mm -hmm. everybody there is so genuine and down to earth. There's no drama. There's no, there's no arrogance. Everybody you see on the floor, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's Waddell, you know? And <laughs> yeah. a quick story, quick story. We're at, uh, there was a little concert after the, the first night of the banquet this last year, <laughs> Waddell was sitting at the bar and I said, I told my wife, I said, I'm going, I, my hands got sweaty. I feel like I was about <laughs> to ask a girl out in middle school. You know, I walked up, I said, I said, Michael, and he turned around, I said, I promised myself if I ever saw you, I'd try to have a beer with you. Can I buy you a beer? He's like, man, sit down. And we sat down and talked. He's cool. He's chill. But everybody liked that there. It's it's a lot of fun. We'll be there this year if you want to go. It's, it's a big time. It's a lot of fun. I got you. It's, when it's does so it many, happen? Uh, it starts Valentine's Day this year. Okay. I it's got Thursday, you. Friday, Saturday, and then you fly home Sunday or whatever, and the, and the flights are cheap. Yes. Yeah. Not from where we're at. Flights are cheap. So uh -huh. I think we paid $100 last year for a round trip. Oh, wow. But anyway, if you want to go, let me know. All right. Anything else you want to cover? 
sell your channel baby it's a great channel yeah man check it dream team tv just type in youtube.com slash dream team tv pope my last name and it'll take you directly to it and of course just go into youtube search bar and pretty much anything of florida public land hunting i'm going to pop up on there somewhere so you just type in the dream team tv and i'm the guy holding the big buck in there you know what's funny is is you say that you started your channel because of that reason even now with you, with you, with Swamp and Stomp, with a couple other guys that are on there, yeah. Hunt Quest, you know, Scott Ellis, he was on the, she was on the podcast. It's still, y'all do a great job, but there's still not a ton of material from Florida. So if you're seriously thinking about hunting right. a Florida WMA, watch every second of these guys' videos, man, because they'll teach you so much. Yes. And I look up to you a lot, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. And to anybody new getting in here, I know we got a lot of new hunters that are probably listening to you. I know I got a lot that listen to me. Mm-hmm. And like I tell all of them, is very well just expect to get discouraged many a times, but don't let it truly discourage you. Just have an open mind everywhere you go. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, a lot, every season. I make them every season. I know I'm going to make some this season. I'm going to knock myself in the head for saying, why did you do that? You know better. Mm-hmm. But no matter how experienced you are, you're going to make mistakes. Just keep on, keep on keeping on and stay disciplined with it. Don't give up. And man, just, you got to keep getting after it. You ain't going to learn unless you keep getting after it. And so keep getting after it. Keep your nose with the grindstone. It'll eventually pay off. Yeah, man, you don't know it all. I don't know it all, and nobody's going to know it all. Everybody's going to learn differently, and, you know, just keep keep listening to you and listen to me, and they'll stay on a good track. Thank you so much, <laughs> awesome man. It has been a great episode, and uh, folks, check him out. Check his channel out. This is uh, From the Woods signing off. Y'all have a good night. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. Y'all stay with us. This train's going to keep on rolling. I promise you we're going to have some great episodes, some great guests. You're going to learn some stuff, and so are we. Thanks again.